Welcome to the Employee Onboarding Podcast, the only place to learn from the world's leading people operators on how to craft a magical onboarding experience. This podcast is brought to you by Process Street, the AI-powered platform that revolutionizes how HR teams design, manage, and automate their most vital processes, craft memorable employee experiences, cultivate company culture, and significantly reduce turnover with Process Street. Sign up for a free account at www.process.st. Join thousands of iconic people teams in companies like Salesforce, MIT, and Accenture that trust Process Street for all their people processes. Hello, everyone. Uh, Thanks for joining us today on Process Street's Employee Onboarding Podcast. Uh, I'm Josh Ashton, VP of People and Operations here at Process Street, where our mission is to make recurring work employee onboarding, for example, fast, fun, and faultless. Uh, This podcast is about unpacking great onboarding ideas and best practices from the world's top HR practitioners and thought leaders. Today, I'm joined by Ben Eubanks. Ben, welcome. Hey, Josh. Really excited to be here. Great. We are uh, very fortunate uh, for you to join us. Um, First, let me set some context for the audience and give a quick bio on you, because uh, you're quite a fascinating person. Uh, ben is currently the Chief Research Officer at Lighthouse Research and Advisory. He's an author, speaker, and researcher living in Huntsville, Alabama. Uh, he spends his days there learning about the talent technologies and people practices that set great organizations apart from the rest. Uh, His book, Artificial Intelligence for HR, may give you textbook vibes, but it's essentially a guide to leveraging technology to create a more human experience for employees and is used by organizations like Cornell and NYU to teach the next generation of HR professionals. Ben also hosts a podcast, We're Only Human, uh, which focuses on improving HR one HR pro at a time. And when he's not speaking or writing, he spends his time with his four kids and runs in a variety of outlandish races for fun. So lots to unpack there. But first thing I have to know, so you have to tell the audience a little bit more about some of these outlandish races, maybe the most outlandish race. Well, I'll tell you. I'm also curious if you've recruited any of your kids. <laughs> yeah. So I'll... We'll start with the kid one first. Um, I'm actively recruiting all of them to find one of them at least that wants to go into HR because I knew I wanted to be in HR when I was a kid. I just didn't know what it was called. So I've, I'm trying to draw them into it. When I go speak, sometimes I'll bring one of them with me, one of the older kids, so they see what it's like. And one of them recently went with me on a trip. She said, HR people are the best. Like She loved that. And so I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm indoctrinating her early. Maybe she'll she'll latch onto this. Um, I'll tell you, I I am just able now to walk normally again. I walked like a you know a seventy year old for a few days because I just recently broke my record, ran forty one miles during a twelve hour event, and um, it was more more fun earlier on than later on, as you might imagine. But I'm like I've got to break that record and something like that. People are like, how in the world do you do it? And really, at some point, it becomes more mental than physical. It's like I want it that bad, just like a lot of the things that we get to do in our our work in the HR world. There's not a physical component to it. If there was, you could go punch the punching bag one more time, or you could do one more push-up, or you could, you know, run more lap. It's a lot harder to do the mental stuff, as we everybody 
listening in probably has already figured out. So that's the, that's the edge there. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Mind over body. Right. And, and it can apply in a variety of ways. Uh, well, that's really, that's really neat. We'll have to keep us uh, up to date on some of your uh, future races. Those are always cool to, to, to be a bystander by. I'll let you run the races. Uh, I'll cheer you on from the sidelines. We'll get you one of the big uh, phone fingers. There you go. Yeah. Ben number one. All right. Um, shall we jump into a, a quick discussion about uh, em- employee onboarding and, and just how important it is? Um, so a- as mentioned in your bio, you are a thought leader regarding this intersection of people and technology uh, or AI. Um, now, with employee onboarding being such a crucial time of an employee's experience overall, how does your point of view or the research you've done on people and AI kind of apply in that realm? Oh, goodness. We could spend a long time just on this one, but I'll tell you that one of the things that the reason I wrote the book, how about that, right? The reason I wrote this book and went through all that excruciating, that was more excruciating than the race, goodness. Um, the reason I did that is because I kept seeing all these stories being shared around about, oh, AI is going to eat all of our jobs and it's going to take over everything. It's going to automate all these things. Sometimes it was fearful. Sometimes it was, oh, just push this button and it'll handle all the things for you. And that's that's not so true either. And so what I really want to do is get to the root of how is this going to affect the work of HR and onboarding and talent leaders every single day? And what I found is when automation comes into any space, including our world, our bubble of HR, it takes away some of those things that are a little more robotic, a little more process-driven, a little more, a little less human, we'll just say, and it allows us to spend more time on those things that do, that do matter, that require a human touch, that require one of the human skills of work, like compassion or creativity. So that's where I see this coming together, and we can talk more practical things beyond that. But at the at the core of it, the big picture of it is these things can help get some of the stuff off our to-do list that none of us want to do anyway, frankly. And allow us to spend time doing those things that we really care about. Like, how do I make someone, when they join our company, how do I make them feel like they're really connected and tethered to what we believe and what our values are as an organization? You can't hand that off to an algorithm, but a human can do that really, really well. Well said. I think it's, uh, you're right at this, uh, the, the early indication was that uh, out of fear that this was going to be a replacement. And uh, you're right. I think the reality is that it's um, a way to make it complementary. Uh, have humans do human things and robots do those things uh, in the same time, play to, play to those strengths. Yes. We, we actually got some brand new research last year on that because I, I kept wondering, is, we've heard that, that line for a long time, right? Uh, the, the AI will do this stuff and we can do the human stuff. And I was curious if that was really true. And I'm a super curious person. That's why I do the research that I do. And so in our survey, our research last year on um, recruiting and onboarding, we actually asked the question, are you using automation, uh, bots, algorithms, things like that in your process? And for those people that said they were, we said, what are you doing with that time, that efficiency you're getting from that? And they're actually pouring that time back into building better relationships. They're pouring that time back into, okay, how do we source our candidates? Okay, how do we connect with people? How do we make sure we understand what our stakeholders need from us instead of just hoping for it because we don't have time to have real authentic discussions with them? So they're, they're not just saying, okay, great, we've got this in place. Let's kick all these people out on the street. They're saying, no, let's now focus on that truly human stuff, as you pointed out. And I was so excited to, to find that in the actual data because it's been one of those things I'm like, please tell me that's really true. I don't want to be saying this for all these years and not be. And now we actually know that there's there's something to back that up. Yeah, that's very true. 
Um, and, and do you feel like that uh, the, there's a lot of investment coming into the people technology and culture technology and some of this uh, uh, automation of, of, of tasks? Do you feel like uh, we're there yet or are we just sort of realizing this is sort of the tip of the iceberg of where, we're, where we are? What I'll tell you is in that same study I just mentioned, we found that companies who have been using these tools for two or more years, they start to see different outcomes than those who are just starting. When someone says, ooh, we've been doing this manually all this time, let's try something else and grab that low-hanging fruit over there and just automate something because we don't want to do it anymore, that's, there's nothing wrong with that. But that doesn't create new value for that company. You're just automating something because that person, what they do with that freed up time is where that new value comes in. What we found is when companies have been doing this for a longer period of time, they actually turn their attention to things like, I mentioned the relationship piece earlier, but they're also spending more time focusing on business impact, ROI, proving the value of the work that we do. I have, I have yet to meet someone who does the work on the, in the people function that is able to simply and easily say, well, here's the value we bring to the business. Usually it's a struggle internally to get the rest of the leaders to see what we see, the value of really caring for and supporting the people. And so they're spending more time on doing that because they're spending less time churning away at all these tasks. And I had a chance recently to interview the head of onboarding at uh, Zapier. And if you most people know Zapier, they're a technology company and their focus is automation. And she said, I'm kind of embarrassed to admit that when I, when I came in there, we had a good onboarding process, but it was 100% manual. So I was creating 50 calendar invites a week for our new hires that were coming in. And then if someone had moved their date, well, guess what? I got to go delete all those manually and move them to another day. And she said, it was, it was awful. And so they started automating some things to get that off of their plate. And she said, now we actually have this really strategic vision for what we're doing and the, the impact we're having. And not just at a business level, but at an individual level, the people say, this makes me feel more connected to what's going on here. And less like a fish out of water, oh, I've been thrown in the deep end, you know, good luck. Probably the wrong mixed metaphor there, but they're, they're actually feeling like they have a grasp on what they need to be doing as a new hire. And um, so that, there's some good, some good evidence to back up the fact that that, that is happening. Listen to that podcast. Uh, it was a, a great discussion. And I was also surprised that you would assume a company like Zapier was already ahead of the game and for her to come in and sort of leverage their technology to automate a certain function that uh, is really important was uh, was great uh, to hear about. That, that happens whether you're in a technology company or not. Um, and I think you're right. The... the um, uh, the HR profession has often said to you know earn a seat at the table, and a lot of the things that are holding us back uh, from a, a business acumen or a strategic perspective are some of these administrative components. Uh, so if you can get those out of your way, then you can uh, show up for that. Uh, not only earn a seat at the table, but be be present for that meeting as well. So you're interviewing me, but I'm going to ask you a question, Josh. Do you keep a checklist of things you've got to do? Yes. You better say uh, yes to this question because otherwise the whole thing's going to fall apart. <laughs> That's right. No, yes is the answer. Yes. Every good HR leader keeps a checklist. And the way I phrase it for people, because there's people right now that are listening like this AI, the buzzwords, ah, get over it. The way that I phrase it for the average HR leader who's not a technology savvy person, right? They never got into this because they love the tech is everybody's got this to-do list. And at the top are the things we've just got to get done today because we've got to get them done, right? I've got to reconcile the benefit statement. I've got to double check those three new people that are onboarding and get them their paperwork. And I've got to do you know, those three job postings. 
at the bottom of the list are the things we really want to do and we never quite get time to do. Like, how do, I, how do we build the right culture here to draw in people that care about the values and the mission of our company? How do we build a bench strength of amazing leaders that are ready to serve our customers far into the future and don't have that floundering thing once one of them leaves? We never get to the bottom of that list because stuff at the top. And that's the value, again, of this bigger conversation about automation and AI and everything else. It's not about holding people at arm's length or removing the human from it. It's taking those things that we didn't really need a human in the middle of anyway and giving us time to focus on those that really we are uniquely gifted and positioned to take care of. Yeah, well said. Um, now, it shouldn't be uh, seen as that innovative or progressive uh, to most, but the term pre-boarding has uh, come in vogue recently, um, and it becomes more important uh, as there's more transitions and great resignation is happening and, and people are moving around. Uh, plus, uh, we live in a more global uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, industry right now. Uh, and so what have you seen companies do well or perhaps do differently than others that ensure that new hire is both culturally uh, and functionally ready to join a company? So pre-boarding, really trying to create that connection between we treated you really well in a candidate experience. You know, you've said yes to the offer and that point where someone actually shows up and is ready to get started on day one. And what we're seeing in the research is that it's almost becoming a necessity in order to keep people from ghosting you and just not showing up, even for very professional positions. I have some good friends that were recruiting for teachers. Teachers! Like, I think about the teachers I had when I was a kid, like the sweet little old lady, you know, kind of thing, or whatever you imagine as a kid. And I don't imagine any of them ghosting someone, not showing up when they're supposed to show up on day one. And yet it's happening even for those kind of positions. And so this gets the chance to create those connections to people so they feel connected and it's not a, a shock to their system when they show up on day one. So a couple different things I'm seeing. Number one, we saw in our data last year that more companies are using swag as a way to do that. And you know what's fun about that is it's not just a, a thing, but it's also a branding opportunity to say, hey, I'm starting a new company. I'm excited. You know, this is coming. Here's my next next adventure, my next journey. And people get excited for you to share those things. Um, we have some new data on what people actually want when they're just getting into and getting ready to start at a company. And beyond the, okay, I've got to figure out my responsibilities and things to be effective at the job you hired me for, that's number one. But once you cut past that, you see, I want to build effective and meaningful relationships with my manager, followed immediately by, I want to build effective and meaningful relationships with my peers. So if we can start doing things before day one to make them feel like when you show up, you've got some familiar faces, that's really powerful. And it could be as simple as, hey, Josh, you're, you're showing up next week. Here's who you're going to meet with. But before then, Christina's going to call you this week because she's going to be working two desks down from you. And she actually started last month. So she's going to give you all the, here's the stuff you find as a new person. And she's going to make sure you're at ease and answer those things. You might not want to ask me all the questions because you want to look like you got it all together. That's fine. Ask her. She's not going to tell anybody. And she had those same questions probably too. And just little things like that aren't hard. Don't take a lot of time, but they create a really personal connection that makes someone anticipate showing up, not dread it or wonder about it or even having a neutral feeling about it. They look forward to it. Right. It could be as simple as giving the future new hire access to uh, the HRIS or your HRIS so they can peruse around, get to know people, read about me pages. Uh, it's it's just so daunting to be the, the new kid in school. And if you can kind of come up uh, on day one with relationships uh, potentially already in place, 
what a great smooth onboarding uh, experience for those new hires. Yeah, perfect. It's time for a quick intermission to appreciate our sponsor, Process Street. Want to build beautiful, engaging, and efficient employee onboarding processes? Looking to streamline your HR processes into wonderful AI-powered workflows? Look no further than Process Street. Just like Cargill, Colliers, and Hartford Healthcare, you too can trust Process Street with your key people processes. Visit www.process.st today. One of your podcasts, uh, yes, I've been stalking you, uh, last September, talked about the uh, talent acquisition role. I believe you were speaking to Bright Hire. Uh, uh, having access to, to rich, actionable data. I thought it was a great discussion. Um, I've often uh, had a point of view or some religion around the relationship between talent acquisition uh, and HR, or say talent acquisition and HR business partners. So my question is how you feel companies are doing or maybe not doing well building that bridge and not losing this data that comes from the interviewing, hiring, recruiting process uh, and making sure that that translation moves over to the, fir- to the person's first 30, 60 days. I'll tell you one of the things that frustrated me for a, for a long time, not just when I worked in HR day to day, but also when I first became an analyst and started researching the space and trying to cover the HR technology landscape, the thing that frustrated me to no end is when I worked in the field when someone started, I knew all that background about them. So when they came in, I had that to, to make me feel connected to them. So I knew how to help them get integrated in the company. For most technologies that are out there, the applicant tracking system and all the other recruiting tools we're using, the second someone is hired, it's like we forget everything about them. It's all invisible. And so we start from scratch with, a, okay, we'll push their, we'll push their uh, address and their phone number into the, the HRS and we'll consider that a win so I don't have to go over there and manually key that in. That should that should be much less groundbreaking than it sounds like. Okay. It should we should have a lot more visibility into that. And so I've talked to more companies, I've seen more advances in the technology side in the last year and a half, two years, where these companies are saying, hey, we are actually maybe it's a recruiting tool. It's pinging that person's HRIS profile. It's not getting your personal stuff, but it's saying, hey, is that person still marked as an active employee 30 days later, 90 days later? Are they sticking around? Because that becomes a indicator and indicator of quality of hire. If that person's sticking around, maybe it was a good decision to hire that person. If Josh left two weeks after we brought him on, did we make a mistake? Was there something that happened in there? Did we, did we miss a red flag? What was the thing? But if you can use that as an indicator of what's happening and whether you're you're hitting the mark on the recruiting side. So I've been more excited to see those kind of advances and those kinds of changes. And I'll tell you, the companies who use a quality onboarding tool have a way to connect those two things because they have it in two different silos, recruiting team, HR team, if you're big enough, have their own separate tool sets. And if you have the right onboarding tools, it can help to bridge that gap so it's not all living over here, all living over there, but it becomes the way to, to bring that together. And what's funny is when I think about all the different talent practices that any company can put their time and effort into, onboarding is one of those that has different perspectives depending on who you're talking to. If you're talking to a recruiter, it's, hey, you know what? You need to take care of this person because I've spent so much time making sure that they're the right one. Please take care of them because I don't want them to quit on day two because you stink at onboarding. HR is like, let's get all your processes and your paperwork and your taxes and all the other fun stuff. Let's make sure you're connected to your buddy. Learning, 
learning professionals when they're in this say, how quickly can we get Josh up to speed so he is fully ramped up and productive from the shortest possible time? Because every day he's not at that full productivity we expect from someone in his role is a day we're losing out because we're paying him the full salary from day one. And so everybody has a little different perspective on that. And I think that the technology in some cases in the past has been a blocker, a barrier. And today it's, it can be, if you have the right tools, it can be an enabler of better relationships there and a better clear perspective of what success looks like. Well, I'm doing some uh, uh, violently violent head nodding over here, and uh, like a, like a bobblehead. You got whiplash over there, Josh. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think uh, uh, I, I have a background both on the the talent acquisition side, and then of course, kind of more of the the general HR leadership or strategy side. And uh, the veil there is still still pretty thick, and I think we need to uh, to change that. One of the things that uh, we do at Process Street as part of someone's onboarding. Is is have the manager uh, go through uh, uh, you know in their first couple of days with the new hire, uh, go back and uh, go over the job description again, uh, and just to make sure that we're on the same page, uh, you know, again breaking down that veil of uh, the responsibilities and the expectations, et cetera, and then also sort of reiterate why we ended up choosing this person and hiring them. And what do we hope to accomplish by doing so and leveraging some of their strengths uh, and matching to the role expectations? I think a lot of that is in assumption world or you assume that's being done or pe- people feel like they're on the same page. A little bit of check and balance there goes a long way. It would be a fun experiment to put a job description in front of an employee on day one and say, hey, is this the, is this the job you applied for? Because most of them don't remember all the details and all the things. And if you didn't talk about it in the interview, that's not even going to be on their radar. Um, I'll throw one more thing out there really quickly on the technology that side that you reminded me of when you were speaking there. One of the things we found in a study we did in the last two years is the more tools you're using, the more productive HR teams say they are. However, that comes at the cost of clarity into what's happening. If you don't have good integrations, if you don't have the systems talking to each other, you have all these different silos of information. You say, well, I can do more stuff. I can more buttons to push, more knobs to twist, all those things but you don't have a source of truth that you can go back to and say, this is the real story of what's happening here. So companies, have, when you're looking for something, there are, there are plenty of tools out there that look nice, but when you get into it, they don't actually connect to the other systems that they need to. And if they don't, you're, you're setting yourself up for some frustration down the line. 100%. Um, what do you think is gonna be the potential next big thing when you're, or, or, or what book are you writing next? Are you noodling on next? Uh, uh, and maybe it's uh, an evolution of AI and people, but uh, what do you think is the, the next big thing we'll see out of either HR technology or when you think about uh, onboarding or creating a great experience for that? So the next book that I'm writing is actually around it's going to be called something like the talent shortage, and it's going to look at what's happened recently as a predictor and an indicator of what, what to expect in the future because of the demographic changes. But I am not a downer. I am not a rain cloud following people around. So I'll give them some insight into what those things are. But the majority of the book is going to be around strategies to solve for that. So innovative and creative hiring strategies like some of the companies I've run across in our research that the things they're doing to hire people blow me away. I never could imagine coming up with that idea and bless them for doing it because they're giving hope to a lot of recruiters and companies out there that are struggling with that. So we'll dive into those kind of things and I'm actively writing that right now actually. I'm so excited about it. The The next big thing we'll see, I think that the 
the biggest thing is going to be this mental shift for companies and for leaders that say onboarding is less about getting to know us and getting to know the company, right? It's not as much about that. And it's how do we get to know you? How do we get connected to you as a person? How do we make sure that we know what you represent and who you are and what you bring to the table? Because if we don't know and see and acknowledge those things, you're Recent history has proven they will find somewhere else that does see and appreciate them for what they bring to the table. So we've got to make that a priority when it comes to onboarding. And that's that, it's a key point there. If you bring someone on and you don't treat them with respect and you don't treat them with dignity and you don't see those things about them, and then six months later you start doing it, it's going to feel really weird. It's going to feel very strange. So start from the beginning. Set that expectation that, hey, we are all about getting to understand who you are because we want to know how to take care of you best. We want to serve you best. And that's what I expect to see this this sort of changeover from let's let's assume they're gonna be interested in us and let's just be very, very intentionally interested in them. It's almost like uh, you know you can blend artificial intelligence with emotional intelligence and then maybe we, we all win by by doing those two things, right? And then you get Josh, just a very sophisticated bot, right? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> we'll call that bot Josh. Yes, yes. We'll trademark. Let's go and you know file that patent real quick. All right. Um, before we do that, one last question. Um, one of the things I, I love about the podcasts uh, and your writing is that uh, you shoot for a level of practicality uh, for your audience, uh, and you're always asking that question: like, what are these things that we can actually are tangible that we can do today? Um, any of those come to mind based on our conversation today, maybe one to two steps that uh, our audience can can take from uh, this conversation or just in general uh, from onboarding? Would you be okay if I give a couple of quick examples? Sure. Because I think there's some, one of the things about onboarding is I everybody wants to know how everybody else does it because we, there's always something, some little snippet you can glean from that. And so I'll share a couple of quick examples of companies that I've worked for, I've run across that because I think there's some good good things in there. There's a company, um, I interviewed the, the founder recently there in the restaurant space. They do, one of the things that's unique about them is they do a lot of fair chance hiring. So they, they hire people who can't get a, a job elsewhere because they they have made some decision in the past, they paid for it, but now others don't want to give them a shot. And so the company's called Hot Chicken Takeover. One of the things that they do, day one, I don't care if you are the the hostess meeting someone at the front desk every day, or if you are the new CFO starting the company, day one, you go put on an apron on, you put the gloves on, the big, thick rubber gloves, and you go back there and you work in the dish tank all day long. And that is what every new hire does so that no one feels above someone else. No one looks down on anybody. We have this shared thing that bonds all of us together and makes us feel connected, right? And that's that has nothing to do with paperwork. That has nothing to do with process. It's just, hey, this is a shared experience. We're all going to get on the same page. And they call it their dish tank culture, which I love. So that's a great example. And the company, again, is hot chicken takeover. One other quick example. I ran across this company that um, had really high tenure, abnormally high tenure for its workers. And you see it in a lot of government agencies and utilities, things like that. This company, you were the new guy on staff until you'd been there 10 years. That's how long people stayed there. And one of the problems they had is when the new person comes in, they feel like an outsider. So they put together this thing they called SPOT, Seasoned Professionals Onboarding Training. And it's very, they have the cool acronym, but essentially it's let's pair someone who's been here for a while with someone who's new and make them feel 
connected and tethered so that, hey, guess what? If those guys are ribbing him at, at break time, you're the person who's got his back, right? And they have some fun with that, but they also use this as a way for those people who have been there for a long time. Guess what? When onboarding happens, it's not just about that person. It's about the team they're, they're joining. The whole team dynamics change. And what they found was those people who'd been there for a long time, they actually said, hey, I'm kind of capped out. There's nothing else I can do. There's nowhere else to contribute. There's no more levels to promote me up. So this gave them a very rewarding experience to pour back into somebody else. And there's so much research that says the best way to lift yourself up is to serve someone else. And that gave them a chance to serve well. So just a couple examples there of how you can weave things into that and make better connections for people. Uh, those are great examples. Um, and I feel like this is, uh, again, more head nodding on my end. Uh, and I feel like this is a, a topic that we could spend a few hours on, <laughs> likely. Uh, and so maybe we'll do that in the future, Ben. Um, I'll be up. But uh, we'll wrap things up today and uh, keep it short and sweet and practical for our folks. Um, ben, thanks so much for uh, being here and being with us across the street. If people want to connect with you or, or learn more about uh, kind of what you're up to and what you're uh, talking about, how, how can they best do that? Goodness, there's a couple different ways. Um, you can look me up on LinkedIn. I'm all over, always sharing, always live streaming, always posting something. Some of the research and things I talked about today, you can find. If you Google my name, you will find me. Um, thank goodness. Sorry to the other Ben Eubanks out there, but if you Google me, you can find some of the research, some of the work I do at Lighthouse. And so I'd love to, to give someone a, a another story, another example, another piece of data if they're looking for it to help them figure out how to improve their own onboarding process. That's great. Well, with your research background, I thought you brought a lot of great insights uh, and uh, examples uh, to the to the podcast. So we really appreciate it. Uh, thanks for being here uh, and uh, we wish you the best. Thank you so much. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Employee Onboarding Podcast brought to you by Process Street. If this discussion ignited a spark to revolutionize your HR processes, why not give Process Street a shot? It's a no-code platform trusted by thousands of teams around the world, large and small, including powerhouses like Salesforce. Visit www.process.st to sign up for a free trial and embark on a journey to efficient, powerful workflows. 